The Quiet Man, a tale of stereotyping in one of America's favorite stores. The man sauntered into the local Walmart on a Sunday afternoon when most people were at work. He had dark brown hair and a military cut, was of average height and build, and wore a long trench coat over a t-shirt, faded blue jeans, and scuffed boots that looked like they might have belonged to a soldier once upon a time. He was wearing a faded ball cap with an unknown logo on it, drawn down over his face as if to hide his eyes from casual lookers as he made his way towards the back of the store to the sporting goods section. He went to the glass display case in sporting goods, where the store had some ammunition and other gun-related stuff on display, and stood looking into the case. A young man by the name of Roy, with a, Walmart, with a blue Walmart vest on, noticed him standing there also silently, and decided to see if he might see, need some help with something. He walked up to the man and asked if he could assist him. The man looked up from the counter he was looking into and stared at the young man with the coldest blue eyes the young man had ever seen. It was like looking into death walking. The stranger had a narrow look with a tight face and looked as if he hadn't shaved today. The look in his eyes was like looking into a dark hole as if we were somewhere else. The man asked Roy if the store had any rifle ammunition. In particular, 7.62mm 339 grain NATO rounds. His voice was low and cold when he asked, and the expression on his face never changed. The young man mentally took a step back as he pondered the stranger quest. He didn't know exactly what type of ammunition this man was asking for. As he thought about it for a minute, the dangerous-looking man remained his calm but cold demeanor and just looked at him with those cold, flinty eyes. At this point, after pondering the situation, Roy decided that this man was scary and maybe that he needed to consult with a manager. Now the question was, how could he do that without arousing the scary customer's attention? He decided to make an excuse to see if the requested ammunition might be in the back storeroom and while en route, find a manager. Roy said to the man, I don't think I have anything like that up front here. I need to go check the back. Would you mind waiting, please? When he said this, the man looked at him and his mouth turned up in one corner as if we were trying to smile, but it could have been just the lights in the store reflecting badly. The man in the ugly ball cap agreed to wait in his quiet voice, but said he needed to be somewhere very soon. Roy did his best not to panic and run from the department to find his manager, as by this time his heart was racing as if in fear of his life from this scary-looking customer. As he headed off, he decided to go ahead and make it look like he was headed to the back storage area just in case the customer was watching. Once out of sight, he pulled his cell phone out and called the manager to explain his fears. Store manager Bob tried to calm Roy down, which worked to somewhat of a degree, only because Bob agreed to join him at the back of the sporting goods section to sort things out one way or another. Roy had now mentally talked himself into a near panic attack of thinking about how scary this customer looked and of all the media attention around the country about mass shootings. As he met the manager at the agreed-upon location and went back to the sporting goods together, they walked up, saw the scary-looking customer looking in the display case again as before. Bob looked at the man and thought, why is he wearing a long coat on a sunny day like today? This made him a little suspicious and decided that caution was in order. When he walked up, the man looked up, and when he saw the two of them, his expression immediately changed from just cold and quiet to one of impending threat. He watched them approach and change his stance, one of defense if needed. The look in his eyes became very narrowed, and he started looking around as if for possible other threats. As the Walmart duo approached, Roy told the man that he couldn't find an exact match for the ammunition he was looking for, but maybe he could order it through their online website. While he was handling that, Bob decided that this customer looked like trouble and decided to call the police. 
Bob stepped away, said he needed to take care of something, but would be right back. As he was getting ready to walk away, the man asked him why they were behaving so oddly. Did he say something to offend them in any way? Maybe he should just take his business elsewhere since they didn't have what he came in for. Bob started to panic himself now. He tried to remember his manager's training for such an incident, but couldn't remember everything they said in class. He decided to take matters into his own hands. Do everything, even physical interaction if necessary, to keep this man here until the police could come remedy the situation. Bob said to the stranger, I'm calling the police because you seem to pose an imminent threat to the people in this store. I need you to stay here until they can arrive and take you into custody. At this point, the man just looked at him and shook his head as if to pity him. He got this look in his eyes that said, you're finished with me here, and smiled a little bit as he started to make his way out of the sporting goods department and head out of the store. Bob got excited and yelled at Roy, Hold him until the cops get here! Roy looked at Bob with a face that said, Who, me? Hesitated long enough for the man to move past him on his way out. Bob made a futile attempt to grab the man's arm, and that was when everything went sideways. The next thing Bob knew, he was on his back in the middle of the floor, staring up at the ceiling, wondering what just happened. Roy was nowhere to be found, and the man was already way down towards the far side of the main aisle, headed for the exit. By the time Bob got off the floor, the man was out of sight. Funny, he thought, how no one came to help him ask him what happened. It was as if everyone had disappeared during the altercation. He decided he would address that in a manager's meeting at a later time. His number one concern was to catch the stranger before he got away, as he was definitely dangerous now, no doubt about it. So off he ran across the store to see if he could find this guy before he left the store. Meanwhile, Roy, as soon as he saw Bob get thrown to the floor like something out of Call of Duty, took off running the other way to hide until everything blew over. As he watched from his hiding place, he watched Bob lay there stunned and a scary-looking man walk off towards the exit. It never once dawned on him to call the police, as he already had a pretty good idea who the stranger might be, not by name, but by his immediate reaction upon being grabbed by the young manager. The man made it to just to the exit doors when Bob caught up with him. When Bob told him to halt where he was, the man just looked at him and continued on his way out. Bob was, by this time, too afraid to grab him again, so he just took a picture with his cell phone and made a point to get a description of the truck the man drove off in. When the police finally arrived, they asked for details of the altercation and took notes. It just so happens that one of the investigating officers was a veteran, and as he started taking notes, he noticed a pattern. He asked the manager and the clerk why they decided to label this man as a threat. Bob said it was his demeanor and his style of dress that made him suspicious. The officer, Steve, looked at Roy and asked him the same question. Roy said that due to the look in his eyes and his quiet manner, he became scared and called his manager. At this point, Steve put away his notebook, looked at Bob, and asked him why he decided it was a good idea to attempt to physically restrain a perfect stranger by himself. Bob replied, I know how to handle myself in a self-important manner. Steve smiled and said, obviously, under his breath. He excused himself, went over to talk to his partner, and after a couple of minutes came back over to tell Bob that they were done and would be following a report about the incident. If Walmart wanted a copy, they could reach out to his precinct and request one. As they started to leave, Bob asked if they were going to hunt down the dangerous killer that got away. Steve replied, there would be no need as they already knew who he was and would go, call, go talk to him. Bob became flabbergasted that they were taking the situation so offhandedly. He demanded action. At this point, Steve became a little terse and asked the manager if he had ever served his country in the military. Of course, he already knew the answer 
and Bob confirmed by stating that he came from a good family and didn't see the need to serve as he had gone to college. Steve shook his head as they walked out. Steve told his partner where to drive, and they drove out to the man's house to see if he was there. They found a battered-looking pickup on the driveway. Steve told his partner, I got this. Stay in the car. The pickup truck had disabled veterans plates on it, and the ranch-style house looked like it had seen better days. As Steve walked up to the door, the man walked out to greet him with just a t-shirt, jeans, boots, and just and asked if he needed anything. Steve quickly explained that he was here to talk about what just happened at the Walmart, wanting all if he had anything to add to his report. The man looked at him with his cold blue eyes and stood there quietly for a minute or two. The officer knew that look, as he had seen it before nearly every morning in his own mirror. That look they called a hundred-mile stare. As the man described what happened to him from his side of things, it became very obvious that this man had committed no wrong and had just defended himself when grabbed by using his military training. His story pretty much matched Roy's back at the Walmart store. Steve wrote it all down and then put his notebook away and told the man that he too was a combat veteran and knew what he was going through. He then asked if he was getting any help from the Veterans Administration. Then, by now, identified as Sean Flaherty, smiled and said they tried but ran out of ideas on how to stop the nightmares and the depression that came with that. Now I just try to cope on my own, but there are some days I wonder if it's worth it all. Life here back home is worse than when I was deployed. He talked about the looks and stares he gets when he goes out and how the VA just kind of gave up on him for his unseen wounds. As Steve listened, he noticed that, John, that Sean had scars on his arms and shoulder. He then asked if, John, if Sean had if he had ever earned his Purple Heart, and Sean replied with a slight smile, multiple awards. Steve then asked him if he'd ever heard of veterans counseling centers available to get the help he needed. Sean said no, he didn't, he hadn't, but would do anything to get help, just so he didn't just give up one day. Steve told him how to find the nearest center, told him how to go over there and walk in. They have nice people over there who can help when the VA can't. They helped him when he needed it and could certainly help him. Sean looked at him and asked, where did you serve? Steve replied, I served with the 1st Battalion, 5th Cavalry, 1st Cavalry Division in Desert Storm. John, Sean responded back with 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines in, in Fallujah, Iraq. Steve thanked him for his service and Sean said, thank you for yours as well, officer. Steve asked him if he had any questions. Sean asked, yeah, are you here to arrest me for that deal at the Walmart? Steve said, no, he hadn't broken any laws or ordinances, only wounded the manager's pride and they both laughed. Steve said he had to go and gave him his card. He told Sean he would call him any time if he wanted to talk. Steve went back to his car after saying his goodbyes, told his partner they were all done here. They could write out the report as complete, no further actions required. As they were driving away, Steve shed a tear out of sight from his partner. For all the veterans like Sean, because of the lack of help they didn't they all didn't get when they came home. He vowed to keep tabs on the poor young younger man because he figured that it was part of his duty to the citizens he swore to defend and protect and to all the other veterans, including himself, that he may encounter in similar circumstances someday. When he filed the report later that day, he wrote that the manager should have been cited for assaulting the customer without provocation and recommended some veterans' mental health training for the store employees, especially for management. He even volunteered his time if they wanted. As for the young veteran in the story, he started therapy at the local veterans center and got the help he needed before he made a, tra- made a tragic mistake. I like happy endings. 
Unfortunately, not all of us achieved that happy ending. So many combat veterans have come back from America's wars with scars, both seen and unseen, and it's the unseen ones that caused so many suicides among us. Our government has facilities to help us, but a lot of times they are staffed by people who have little to no idea what we went through, and they only know how to throw textbook therapies at us to see if one of them sticks. I'm fortunate that I found a veteran center that wasn't too overwhelmed and could get me the help I needed when I needed it. A lot of them aren't so fortunate. The nearest centers may be too far away or understaffed so that the wait times for appointments are too prohibitive and of little help. We volunteered to put ourselves in harm's way so you wouldn't have to. Now it's your turn, America, to help us get the help we were promised when we enlisted and got injured. Vote for congressmen and women who will work on getting the help we need and the quality of care we were promised. Then maybe we can prevent a lot of the veterans' suicides that should never be happening in the first place due to the lack of help. Vote like our veterans' lives depend on it because they actually do.